Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are live. Coffee with the Johns, April 2nd, 2021. Welcome to the show. Hope you guys are ready to get some uh, interesting news headlines, some great knowledge. We have a a lot of really good um, headlines to cover, some good real estate stuff to go over. So hope you guys are ready. Uh, Put in the chat. How are you doing this morning? What are you drinking? What are you joining us? Uh, where are you joining us from? All of that. We like to know. What is it that you do in real estate? We definitely love to know that. We like to see uh, the kind of investing that everybody does and everybody handles. So with that being said, I'm your host, John Barbera. And with me as always is our co-host, Mr. John Barr. The better looking at you. You can get some Bruce Buffer cl- uh, classes. We are live. Here we go. Our tail of the take. Run down the list. Topics. Okay, I'll just add that to my uh, rolling to-do list. Yeah. Eventually, it'll be more fun for you guys, okay? <laughs> John's got to have a little fun with his life. Yeah, we got, uh, what do we got coming up? So we have uh, Ray Dalio, uh Kind of a big deal in the real in the investment world. He owns or used to own. I don't know if it's still one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. Yeah, um, I don't know. Bridgewater's um, huge, huge uh, economist, everything, and he's predicting a very big stock bubble that is about to pop. So he's saying this is coming down the line. He's talking about magnitude levels of 2000 and 1929 Great Depression level kind of pop. So we're, we're halfway to the. Oh, halfway to the magnitude. Halfway. Not there. Getting there. Yeah. So we'll cover that. Uh, we're going to cover Biden release part of the new infrastructure plan. So we're going to cover how, you know, what effects could that have on the real estate market and investing. Amazon thinking about unionizing. So that's interesting. And Amazon's not thinking about oh. it. Their employees <laughs> are wanting to do it. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what, what's going to happen with all that. As well as uh, we have some local real estate news uh, for San Antonio and Texas. And just a little bit of heads up with all the stuff that's going on. I I talked to a lot of real estate investors and people that are looking to get into real estate. And they're really struggling with education, with figuring out what's the right things to be doing, the right strategies, all of this. So I created a Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. You can find it. It's called Real Estate Investing the Right Way. And you gotta, you have to answer the questions. If you don't answer the questions, you're not gonna get approved. So, because the point of the group is not for you to pitch your deals, not for you to pitch your business. The whole point of the group is purely for education. So there's gonna, there's already people on there that have decades of experience. They're gonna be sharing their knowledge, uh, as well as a bunch of new investors, people looking to get into investing, asking questions. Uh, connecting, trying to figure things out. So that's the purpose of the group. So if you're interested in actual getting, actually getting some real knowledge, no sales pitch, no nothing, real knowledge, then you want to check out that group. It's Real Estate Investing the Right Way. It's on Facebook. And we also opened up a, a private group for people that text this number, 210-794-9898. And it's our texting community. So in that group, we're actually going to be sharing 
the things that we're learning and things that's working for us in the moment, live, it, you know, in real time. So we share all this stuff anyway, but sometimes it takes a few weeks before I can put a podcast episode together or something of that magnitude so I can share it. This time, uh, we're going to be doing it live. We're going to be doing it in the moment. So, but only for the text community. So make sure you text that number and you'll be a part of it. And every time that we are figuring something new out, we have some cool hack or some cool tools that we're using, you are going to be the first to know. So with that being said, let's kind of get this ball rolling. What the first thing I wanted to cover is we had a, we're on TikTok. So uh, if you have uh, a TikTok, check us out and Investor's Journey. And we've been, you know, we put a lot of these things and I know it's not going to be, you know, the fun TikTok you guys like. We're not, John is not twerking that much on there. Um, but even on there. <laughs> no, I, I made sure to put a picture of you at some point. But we did a post and it kind of went viral and viral in our terms. Okay. Oh. I got like, I don't know, 50,000 views and a ton of comments and stuff. But what I found interesting, the post was when last week's Coffee with the Johns, we talked about the capital gains tax going up to 40%. The comments were so split between very angry people on both sides, right? And you had people that were very angry at us saying that, Oh, there we go. You know, here's just another group of guys spewing lies, trying to sell bullshit or this and that, because the, the Democrats, the, they, Biden would never think of doing something like this. And, you know, that's this is all lies, all fake news. And then the other side saying, well, there you go. That's the Democrats. They're going to screw up the country. They're going to tank everything. And, you know, and this is all going to hell and they're killing investing. I mean, just anger. And my thing was just more of a, the level of fear of, from people, you know, because to me, that kind of reaction is just fear. They're so scared of something like this happening that they've automatically fall back to anger. At no point did we say, you know, one, we didn't say that this is happening for sure because this is still talks and needs to pass, but Biden has pretty much stuck to these same policies. Those were, that's what we were covering. And what we cover is for education purposes, is for you to understand, if this was to happen, what will you do to prepare for it? Not sit there, complain, and moan, and whine about how unfair the world is. You understand? Like, that does absolutely nothing for you. The whole point was, like, if it goes to 40%, you're going to get taxed 40% on any profit over a million dollars, Right? That's a huge tax. You know, I mean, that's, that's a huge freaking tax, yeah. right? So all that should mean to you is not, could you be upset or something that's happening? Sure, for a little bit. But now you start, you got to start thinking strategic. So you say, okay, well, I got to make sure that my planning happens that I don't have a million dollar profit Yeah, well, in a it's year. just like if you have something, it's just, all right. If they're going to start passing these things and I have a huge windfall in a property that I've owned for 20 years, I have a lot of capital gains in that. It's like, probably think about selling that or doing something different to where like, all right, I need to recapitalize this. When I do sell it, I don't have that. Like, let's do a cash out refinance to pull the equity out now to where when I do sell it in five, 10 years, if that tax does get passed, 
yep. you have the ability to pull that money out and you don't have to worry about that big capital gain. And, and I think that is a perfect um, example right there. Uh, straighten your mic. Um, uh, and um, if, if there's any issue with the audio, guys, let us know. But uh, that's a great example. Like if you're about to sell properties, right? And you're in real estate, you have maybe a bunch of properties and you're doing that. Um, you're about to sell them to try to move that money over to a bigger investment or whatever it is. And you see that between all the equity, yeah, you're probably going to net a million dollars. So why not go ahead? Oh, well, it's not net a million dollars on that one investment. It's netting a million dollars no, over the year. Yeah, over the so year. So you make hundred grand a year and all of a sudden you have a $900,000 windfall from a property, you're at a million dollars. Anything over that is not 40. Exactly. So it's, it's not fr just strictly from properties. It's just your profit period. But we are a real estate company, so we're talking in real estate terms. So if you have these properties, you have buy and hold, because uh, the majority of the time, that's how you're building that level of equity. And you're going to have to sell, like John says, refinance some of that equity out. You're going to be able to pull it tax-free and then sell them. So you'll sell them. Your equity went down a little bit, you know, and maybe you'll be able to skate underneath the $1 million. Now, if you're a much bigger investor, and let's say maybe you're flipping a lot, Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe you you started a bunch of flips the year prior or new construction, whatever it is, and you're dumping them all the, the following year. And it's going to create between that and everything else over a million dollar windfall. Well, the point of all this is for you to sit down, try to find a tax strategist. Right. We have Brian Lang on the show and you could go into our YouTube, check out that video. I put his contact info. He does a, a consultation and everything. He does, has tax strategy, everything that you're going to need. So reach out to a tax strategist and, to, and plan it out ahead of time. You understand? When all these people are getting so appalled at the video, which is funny because it's like a 30-second clip and it created that much emotion. Um, you're getting so appalled, so, so offended by this video. Instead of what I'm saying is like, in case it does happen, are you prepared? Instead of complaining, bitching, and moaning, and saying, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Okay, are you going to wait until it does? And then what are you going to do? Yeah. So again, guys, everything that we cover on the show is for your education. It's for you to be informed. Be smart about it. Don't be emotional. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. If your feelings are being hurt, that's your problem. There's something wrong with you that you're being so sensitive. That being said, like the whole point of this, right? Why we do this is to help people educate them. Yeah. It's not to piss you off about Biden or Trump or the right or the left. It's not about that. It's about what's happening and how can you prepare. Yeah. So we had uh, one of the listeners, kind of Tom, Tommy Ray, put in here between forbearance expiring 30, 30, 30 June, 30th of June, and the tax law change, changing in regards to huge capital gains or no 1031 exchanges. Anyone else see a large context being shaped to force a herd sell-off? Well, I mean, it's also one of the things I've been thinking about, too, is it's like the current administration wants home ownership. Yeah. You can see in their infrastructure plans some of the stuff that they want to put money towards. And it's one of the things right now, like this, the market lacks inventory. So I can see them ta passing things, trying to get some form of sell-off to put more inventory on the market because you have so many buyers uh, fighting over the smallest little bit of inventory. And I'm sorry, like FHA is always inferior to a conventional loan. 
the underwriting is less, the appraisals are less stringent to where like your FHA buyer, that's the entry level program to get into a house. They can't afford, they can't get into a house because they can't get conventional. They need FHA. The credit's not good. They don't have money down payment, whatever it may be. You have the anti-flipping laws of the, you have the previous owner has to own it for 90 days. The FHA, we have a house we're going to be listing here in the next month. And it's like, it won't qualify for FHA financing for another month. And I'll probably get conventional. We'll probably get conventional uh, mm -hmm. financing in there where the market needs inventory. I could see them passing things that are incentivizing or disincentivizing long-term holding of property to get more inventory onto the market. Yeah. So. No. And I mean, one of the things that I found interesting is uh, a good friend of ours, local real estate invest, uh, agent, Tim Allums, sent us a, a thread from Facebook and I'm trying to think back to it, but it was pretty much about how builders, a lot of builders have pulled back a little bit and there's some builders are putting within their contract that if at the time of completion, the prices have gone up more than 5%, then they have the right to up the price or the seller or the buyer can just back out, yep. you know, because the problem is like by the time a builder's done building, they spent more than they anticipated because of all the costs, well, all everything. Times, like, look at all these builders, you drive through like, um, I, uh, about a month ago, I was showing some people around to some, uh, rebuild areas and the lots are already pre-sold yeah. so then it's like well this person's already saying i'm gonna buy that house buy this lot and you're gonna build me that house well it could be 12 to 18 months before that thing's done who knows what the cost lumber is gonna do so i see it it sucks for the consumer and it sucks yeah. for the buyer too they're like they don't want to put that in there but they have to where it's like i want to contract you on this house you want to contract on this house but we have this current situation right now in our economy where like I can't narrow down prices like the, the supply chains are so disrupted across the market that it can fluctuate up and down and sideways all over the place to where like, this is the price now, but if it goes up 20%, you could lose this house or you got to put more money down. So that is the risk that goes in. Uh, well, and then right you now. also have some builders that are just going to the cost plus. So, the, you know, if you're hiring a builder to build a house, they're just going to say, look, I'll build it, but we're doing cost plus because of the same thing. And I mean, it, it's getting to a point where what I'm more curious about with policymakers is, and, and this is coming from complete ignorance on my part. I don't know why I haven't looked into it, but do these policymakers bother to have investors and or real estate professionals giving them consultations and advising them before they bring out one of these dumbass policies. You know what I mean? Like if you have somebody that actually understands real estate and is in the real estate market, wouldn't they be able to advise them like, hey, if you wanna do this, like you said, stop hurting FHA buyers by making it that you can't sell to an FHA buyer for 90 days. Because you're hurting the FHA buyers. In a hot market like we have right now, we don't need FHA buyers. There could, what, what qualifies you for a conventional loan? 5% down? And a, and a credit. Yeah, and a decent credit score. And you qualify for conventional. And there's a lot more people. And now you have a lot of people coming in from California and stuff that they're coming with decent amount of money that they're even able to pay cash. I mean, we saw, uh, we saw now last week uh, a property in downtown San Antonio in Lavaca. It was a freaking grocery store. Still looks like, like a freaking grocery store. An amazing rehab. 
I don't know who did the project, but I give them credits. The rehab looked beautiful, at least on pictures. It looked gorgeous. The house sold for three quarters of a million dollars. It was for seven, seven fifty, seventy, twelve days. And cash, cash, cash. Just boom, cash, yeah. baby. Drop it on the. I wonder if one of those days I want to go to a title company and just be like, drop cash. Oh, well, you got to film it because then if it's not on Facebook, then it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but you're looking at these kind of things and who are you hurting? All the first time homebuyers that supposedly you're trying to help. Yeah. You... Which John? Yeah, there's two of us in here. All right. <laughs> so Bar and John. Just so. <laughs> um, yeah, you're probably that boom. You probably blew out the mic. <laughs> Sorry. You're an animal. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, th those are the things that I'm more curious about. It's like, can we have people that are part of the industry advising and helping out our politicians and the policymakers to make sure that they're making policies that's actually going to help people, you know? Well, so I mean, that is one thing I do not, I don't envy being a politician because oh. you're, you got people coming from every which direction. And every time you, somebody comes with a good idea, there's somebody else coming that will come out and be like, that's a bad idea because of X, Y, Z. A caveat to, hey, remove the 90-day anti-flipping laws. It's like, well, now you're going to incentivize people to do the really cheap flips. Just kind of grab it, put lipstick on a pig, and throw it off to FHA buyers who are the most vulnerable to not having cash be able to pick up to buying turds like we've seen people do in the past um, or get roped into. What's stopping people from doing that now? Uh, if you hold it for 90 days, there's more chances that you get caught doing things like with the city, like where if you just like, you know what, let's just lipstick on a pig in a week and uh, throw it on the market and get it sold off to somebody else before but they even catch it. What I'm saying is that people are doing that now. People are doing are that now because it, what we call hoteling, right? Yeah. That they're buying these properties, barely cleaning them up and slapping them on the market instantly and they're selling instantly. But they're selling instantly to a conventional buyer. Yeah. Somebody's got a little better credit score, a little bit more cash in pocket. To where yeah, they can but stay you got to have an inspection. Inspection reports, I mean, they're very Dude, thorough. You can, but you can hide things behind walls. Like, they don't check plumbing systems and, and that stuff to where you have a broken sewer line. Well, you don't know that because I know there was one house that somebody, like, um, came back to us and saying, hey, you owned this house at one point. Did you ever check the plumbing? It was like, no, and, and I sold, I didn't renovate it. Like I sold it to somebody else. So, yes, we all title of it, but somebody else bought it from us. Yeah. And they went down the line and like whoever they sold it to and whatever renovations they did to it, uh, they never checked the sewer line. They got an FHA loan and they had a massive sewer break and well, all the sewers back. Put up. contingencies, especially to protect them, right? Like put barriers where it's like, look, w what are the problems that an inspection report can't find? Sewer problems. Okay, you need to have a, a, a plumbing check before yeah. you close on it, right? So it's like, that's probably what, an extra four or 500 bucks. But you're but that's what's saying FHA, fha buyers are the reason they're going to fha is because they usually don't have money yeah but they have a ton of incentives i mean and don't get me wrong i mean if you don't have money you shouldn't be buying a house oh, exactly period. but that's usually like, but, especially right now that's not who's doing it that's yeah. why the anti-flipping law is in place is well so i have an article here that i feel ties a little bit into this so you have uh president joe biden has asked education education secretary miguel Cordona to prepare a memo about his legal authority to cancel student debt. Um, as, a pressure, as the pressure grows for the administration to address the student loan crisis, crippling millions of Americans, he'll look at the, uh, the legal authority 
He'll look at the policy issue around that, and then he'll make a decision, Klain said. He hasn't made a decision on that either way. In fact, he hasn't yet gotten the memo that he needs to start focus on that decision. Senator Majority uh, Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and other Democrats from Capitol Hill are pressuring Biden to cancel up to $50,000 in student loan debt. Uh, through an executive action. Lawmakers have conceded that they lack the Republican support to pass the bill that would do the same. Biden has backed canceling up to $10,000, but has said that he does not think he has the legal authority to unilaterally wipe out as much as 50000 without congressional action. So he's not saying he wouldn't do it. He My just doesn't feel how, he doesn't have the legal how can authority. You have 10, but not 50. That's one of the things like, if you have the ability to wipe it out, you have the ability to wipe it out. But why does the dollar amount really matter? It's like, oh, I think I can do 10, but I don't know if I have the legal authority to do 50. Like, yeah. There's some amount. There must be some kind of weird thing in there with the way the law is written that you only wipe off so much debt without congressional. I don't know, something. But so this is one of those that. It, it continues. It says, I understand the impact of debt and it can be debilitating, Biden said. Uh, I'm a. I am prepared to write off the $10,000 debt, but not 50000 because I don't think I have the authority to do it. More than 40 million people in the U.S. are estimated to have student loan debt. The Federal Reserve estimates that in the third quarter of 2020, Americans owed more than $1.7 trillion in student loans. Um, White House Press Secretary told reporters February that while the review of, the, of his executive authority continue, Biden would be eager to sign a bill that provided 10000 in debt relief. So here's where, where I'm going at with this, is that you have approximately 40 million people in the U.S. that have student loan debts. You times that by $10,000 a person, and you have $400 billion of debt that got wiped away. Yes. I, I do simple math very well. <laughs> I can um, zeros at the end of numbers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my question is, we've already seen massive pressure on assets, right? Because of all the money that's being printed, all the stuff, people are looking for some form of excitement, I guess, or whatever. So we're seeing already asset prices being uh, propped up. We see it all the time with stock market. We're seeing it with real estate. So if you're wiping away $40 billion worth of people's debt, I mean, I imagine there's probably a lot of student loans at that point that might get close to canceling out at ten grand, right? There's probably well, a lot of people that doing, will get wiped out. That's why they're doing ten grand. Is like it would. Elim I remember seeing a chart of it, and it would like eliminate student debt for a third of all borrowers. Exactly. Just so by doing ten grand. So you're doing this. So my thing is like now you're putting even more money into the hands of people that are probably lo would love to buy a house if they haven't already. You know, you're putting a lot more money. So where's that money going? If we see the trends of, as they've been developing, it's going into assets. It's going into the stock market, Robinhood. You know, now we have the NFTs and uh, Bitcoin and all these other things. They're being propped up by people having a lot of excess cash in their hands. So to me, this is if this happens, you know, this is another thing that I, was, I could definitely see affecting real estate prices and inventory shortages even more. Well, my, my thing with this is, okay, $10,000 in student that wipes out a third of people are saying, oh, this will help so much homeowners. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a study yet. Like, what is the average payment on ten grand? 
So I was like, if that $10,000 loan that's spread out over 10, 15, 20 years for a student loan, the reason you can't get a home, like to me in my mind, like that's a very small payment of like a hundred, 150 bucks, maybe $200. And that's the reason it's pushing you over 50% debt to income. Yeah. You shouldn't be buying a house anyways. In my mind. Oh, well, of course. And, and that's where, like, I haven't seen a study based on that yet. To where my next question to this is, like, if they had the unilateral authority, and he says, I would sign a bill that would wipe out $10,000 student loan debt because it's an economic stimulus. They just passed a $1.9 trillion stimulus without a Republican vote. Mm-hmm. Why was it not put in that? He promised it in his, the campaign. Like, why was it not put in that bill that they just passed without any Republican support when they're saying they wouldn't get any support to pass a bill for this? Well, that's where it's like, if it was a stimulus plan and you talked about doing it, like, why was that not included in that portion of the bill? So I, I don't know. That's yeah. why I'm, I'm curious, like the direction they're going with this. And then also the aspect of like the validity of uh, 10 grand. Is that really that big of a burden on people? Like, I would like to see, okay, 10 grand. I got it. I understand the debt that people carry and how many of them carry that much debt. Like, what is the average payment on those loans? Obviously, it depends on what they started at where like, hey, they had $100,000 and they got five years left in the loan and they only have $10,000 balance left. They're still paying that payment of the 100000 over the life of the loan, not 10000 over the whole chunk of the... Uh, well, I mean, and, so, and, 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 and I'm not saying you're alluding to this, but it could also be that they didn't pass the ten grand because they want to do something bigger, right? And they're probably thinking if we do the ten grand now, it's going to be harder to do another one later. Right, where it might be harder to get that one passed. So why not put all of our eggs on something bigger, yeah. and then maybe go down? I don't know. I mean, it, but regardless of why it is or isn't, it's more what I'm more curious about, and what I'm more trying to allude to is what effects that's going to have when you're putting that much more money back into people's pockets. You're wiping out that kind of debt and everything. Now you're made people, you know, a little bit wealthier. So. They're going to feel like they, now we can afford to go buy a house. So that's more buyers to an already shrinking, massively shrinking inventory. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it's something to pay attention to. I saw earlier, El Tomas puts uh, anti-flipping law question mark. So anti-flipping law is pretty much... It's not that, an actual called the anti-flipping yeah, law. we call it that. But uh, investors call it the anti-flipping law because it's, it's created so... If you're an investor, you buy a house, you renovate it, and you try to sell it, you have to hold it for at least 90 days, well, 91 days, before you can accept an offer from an FHA buyer. The reason this is called an anti-flipping law is because the majority of the buyers are were FHA at the moment. So when you had such a large buyer pool of FHA, and we did this consistently when we flip properties is we will look at the area we were flipping. And if we saw all of the sold comps and sales terms, they had FHA financing. We knew that we had to buy that property and at least hold it for 90 days. So that's pretty much why well, we call it, it anti And it caused us to where like we would buy it and it needed a small renovation, maybe six weeks worth of work. Well, we wouldn't even start it for a month, month and a half, because there's no point in fixing up a house, having it all ready to go have that capital A just to have them and then put it on the market and then have it just sit there for, and all you get all these offers in FHA, FHA, FHA. And you're like, I can't accept this contract for another month. 
Yep. Well, you wait, so come back in a month. Well, they're not going to wait around in a month. They're going to go find another house to put an offer in on and they're gone. But now your house had sat on the market for 30 days in an insanely hot market and it made something, made people think, well, what's wrong with that house? Why has it been on the market for so long? So it's scared buyers. So we would always at that time wait yeah. to put up market houses on the market until day 91 so we could actually accept those offers so yeah it's called anti-flipping because a lot of times i can get a house done quicker than 90 days and get on the market but we would actually well, and then we wait. also have holding costs we yeah. have money costs we have you know there's other stuff and, and one thing that i always talk about real estate is that houses don't like to be sitting vacant they start hurting themselves so when you have a property that's just sitting vacant, you have more of a chance that, you know, it can get vandalized. People can break in. Things go bad. You know, it, there's a higher risk. Houses, houses with plumbing, with everything, especially if it's an older home, they need to it needs to be constantly used so it stays working well. So things don't back up so you don't get kind of grime and stuff built up in the pipes. I mean, there's a lot of things involved. So, it you know, it, it hurts the investor, but you adjust for those those pain points and you try to make the best of it. So th that, I hope that answers your question. That's pretty much why we uh, call it anti-flipping. Um, you want to cover the, um, unless you have another article, but you want to go over the Biden $2 trillion the infrastructure? infrastructure plan. Yeah. That's something that uh, one of the, pre the administration said they wanted to do is they passed the COVID bill and they wanted to follow up with a big infrastructure plan. They're talking three to $4 trillion infrastructure plan and then how they're going to pay for it. They're going to raise taxes and all that stuff. So, this week, uh, Joe Biden released portions of it anyways. So President Joe Biden unveiled a more than $2 trillion infrastructure package on Wednesday as his administration shifts its focus to bolster the post-pandemic economy. The Biden plan, plan outlined Wednesday includes roughly $2 trillion in spending over eight years and would raise the corporate tax to 28% to fund it. Currently, it's at 21 Speaking at a union hall in Pittsburgh, the president called it a vision to create the strongest, most resilient, innovative economy in the world and millions of good paying jobs along the way. The proposal would put $621 billion into transportation infrastructure such, such as bridges, roads, public transit, ports, airports, and electric vehicle, electric vehicle development, direct $400 billion to care for elderly and disabled Americans, inject more than $300 billion into improving drinking water infrastructure, expand, expanding broadband access, and upgrade electrical grid. Put more than $300 billion, this is the one I found interesting, is put more than $300 billion into building and retrofitting affordable housing along, the along with constructing and upgrading schools. Invest $580 billion in American manufacturing, research, and development, and job training efforts. The president responded to criticism of the proposed tax site, saying he would not increase the burden on anyone making less than four hundred thousand per year. He said he did not aim to punish the, he didn't and he isn't aiming to punish the wealthy. Among the administration's goals, it aims to revamp twenty thousand miles of roads and highways and repair ten thousand bridges. The proposal calls to build a national network of half a million electric vehicle chargers by 2030 and replace 50,000 diesel public transit vehicles. The administration hopes to build and rehabilitate 500,000. This is one that I found interesting. Um, they wanted to talk a little bit. The administration hopes to build or rehabilitate 500,000 homes for low and middle income Americans and replace all lead pipes and drinking water systems. The plan also aims to deliver universal affordable broadband service. What are your thoughts? Hmm. On just that or the whole thing? The whole thing. I mean, the <clears throat> parts of it, mainly the proposal. Well, the one thing that I, that I did hear, I read from him saying was that 
he wasn't gonna it, it wasn't taxing anybody making under 400 grand but that is not including that is including a household income so it could be an individual but if you're in a household and you're filing jointly that you're you're married and everything and together you're making over 400 grand you're gonna hit that you're gonna get hit with that tax yeah. right so yes if you're an individual making for less than 400 you're fine but if you're married now it becomes more of an issue you know if you're two married couples airline pilots whenever that comes back or uh <laughs> or doctors or anything of that sort you're probably gonna you know you're you're gonna see an increase on that well it's also so, one of things too when they say they're not gonna raise taxes on foreign which it may be true like they're not gonna feel the tax impact but where you would feel the impact long term is ability to compensate and pay people more because a corporation is not having to pay more in tax they have less money to give bonuses benefits pay raises yeah. and have and have less capital to enrich their people that work for them. So it's one of the things you won't feel the tax impact, but you might feel the impact over long term. That's where most people don't think like, well, I'm not going to feel the tax impact. Yeah, but somebody's pay paying that tax, that money's being sucked out of the economy um, by the government, and that forwards your employer does not have the money to give you raises over the next 10 years or whatever. Yeah, and be. I mean, the, so you got to look are, at it from the other side too. And those are the things that we talk about the the dangers of sometimes trying to raise taxes on uh you know on the wealthy and stuff like that is that a lot of the wealthy people are what move the economy right they're they're what creates the jobs what do uh, what uh creates housing massive infrastructures a lot of it depends on the wealthy so if you start hurting them you know you start hurting their incentives to want to do all these things but one thing that i see too is that it you know they're also doing tax laws and everything against kind of like investments, right? So they're talked about the 1031 possibly going away and other things like that. We know people that invest quite a bit in real estate, but they don't necessarily have, they don't, they're not necessarily making 400 grand a year. They're under that. But people that I look at that are also investing quite a bit, they make maybe 150, 200 plus a year, you know, here in Texas, of course, I don't know, California, New York. So those people are also going to get affected, even though you say, oh, but I don't make 400. No, but you're getting affected in other ways now. You understand your investments are going to get uh, affected. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of repercussions that I think kind of creates those ripple effects. That the, that's what we try to look at in this market is we try to see, okay, this is happening here. What's the ripple effect that's going to cost over here? Yeah. Right. Because it's the same thing that we talked about last week. When COVID first started and people would say, how did, how's COVID affecting your business? We're like, right now it's not, but we haven't seen the ripple effects yet. Yeah. I mean, last a year ago, we're all like, oh God, what's this going to do to real estate? Because think about it. April last year is like, we just shut down. We're in the middle of the shutdown and stuff like that. And th that this is the month that last year, the year over year median sales price appreciation actually dropped and went negative for the first time in since 2012. Or is it like, oh, shit, like what's going to happen? Um, thankfully for our industry, it recovered very quickly and it came back with a, with a vengeance. Yeah. Um, and then the, the infrastructure, I mean, the whole building, what was it? How many homes? Uh, half a million. Half a million Administration homes. Administration hopes to build or rehabilitate 500,000 homes for low and middle income Americans. And this is one that I'm... Wow. Yeah. Um, we all know... The light was. Um, 
So we all know that the government is not known for efficiency. Uh, we've talked about in the past how much it costs to build a, a, for the government to build. For those of you that haven't seen it, basically there was a case study done when I was working large-scale construction by a general contractor, and they compared what it would cost to build a hospital in the private sector and for the government. So they compared a hospital they were currently building uh, for the government, how much it costs, and said $600 million to build this hospital. And they ran a case study of what would it would cost for a similar project built by the private sector, and it only cost $400 million. So you look at that price increase, that, and it's just due to the red tape and the inefficiencies of government, everyone having their hands in the pie, and having decisions that drives the cost up. So now you're talking about being able to do it for homes. Well, obviously they cannot build a home as quickly or as efficiently on a cost perspective as a private sector could. Mm-hmm. So now my thing is, how does this stimulate the economy? So when you talk about building roads and infrastructure, bridges and things like that, okay, I understand that that directly impacts because now look between here and Austin, we have a lot of commerce that goes back and forth on 35. That's why there's always constantly traffic jams because people are trying to get back and forth. So if you can speed that up and get people back and forth quicker, then that is going to have a net positive gain on the amount of information, the amount of commerce and velocity of money that it would cost where it's saying, Hey, it costs us $1, but it returns $2 of investment. I mean, you look at the highway system that was built, uh, I think it was the 50s, 60s and 70s across the nation that had a net positive gain, but now housing. So obviously they are going to build a house and they are going to sell it to the private sector and it would probably be at a loss for what it actually costs them to what they sell it for. How does that return a positive gain? Somebody buying a house on the overall economy because it's a person for low and middle income, they're going to have debt attached to it, obviously. Because we, so we, where does that net positive gain, like how does that speed up the economy? How does that speed up commerce? How does it do things? You're just now putting somebody like saddling them with debt. We're like, where is the positive gain for the having thing is that housing? we go back to what you and I have spoken about a bunch of times is that instead of teaching people how to fish, right? They keep trying to f- figure out ways of giving people fish, and you know, people deserve a, a, a decent home to live in. Agreed. People deserve uh, clean drinking water. Agreed. But you giving them everything does absolutely nothing for you. You understand? Instead, like there are ways that people can actually get these things for themselves. You understand? There are ways that people can get the jobs, the education, everything that they need so they can go ahead and buy themselves a decent house or rent themselves a decent house and get themselves good drinking water and internet and all of these things, right? There's ways for that. It's called education. Yeah. You got to worry more about reforming and putting money into educating Uh these Uh people than doing anything else. And that's the problem. It's like they say, oh, we're going to build housing. Like to your point, you're going to create all this money. You're going to build these houses at a loss. So it's going to end up costing the country even more because now this investment that you made is already negative. Well, that's one thing. Like I was curious, like how is like L Thomas put in here the econ class I never got. And it's like no, they, they they and I think they do that on purpose. Uh, because smart people don't get into massive amounts of debt. They don't use credit cards. They don't use the high interest payment things, right. the vehicles. But that doesn't make money for the 
investment banking or in the banking sector because they want you to take credit cards. That's why they give them to you for free. So you do run up credit cards and they know most people don't aren't fiscally responsible, don't understand basic economics and how much that debt really hurts you and what it really costs you. So they want you to do those things. So I think it's by design that they have that in place. And it's no surprise. And to Tommy Ray's point, like what really needs to be done is private disconnected private money from the election process would really, really help to go get a clean capitalism and its good side effects. And I 100% agree with that. And I think there's a lot of people that we talk to left, right, center, wherever they're like, yeah, we should really get all the lobbyist money and all of that crap out of the political system. For sure. Well, um, I mean, you got you have to be able to empower people and give them the ability, allow them to ha- create the ability to take control of their own lives, right? Correct. Where instead of trying to pretty much like it's okay, go sit down. We got you. It's yeah, okay. That, go sit down. We got I, you. Like I, that I just, doesn't help anybody. And it's not like it's the Biden administration. The old administrations no, no. do it. Um, but that's one thing when I say the administration hopes to build and rehabilitate five hundred thousand low and income houses i just i don't understand how that's being twisted like i I would love to like try to figure out like how are they seeing this is and or how are they going to sell it as that is a an infrastructure plan an economic stimulus like the roads and bridges 100 the amount of people you're going to employ doing all that getting these roads fixed getting them widened to get more people being able to go faster like understand that 100 percent it's like but like the building of houses um i guess maybe it's being able to get more people to like say San Antonio, like we have a housing shortage. Well, if they inject a supply of housing, that's bringing more people to a city to where. Well, and then also homeowners tend to spend more. Well, yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, like, you, you, you have... once you own a home, then you say, oh, I got to, you know, fill in this, these rooms. I got to get a patio. Say, I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, yeah, so you that's... end up spending more. Yeah. So, and I, and I get that. But my thing is like the government doing this, hurts us though because the government doing this is putting us into more debt doing all of this stuff because it's not going to generate more revenue one thing i I saw too is uh who would you say is the biggest economic threat to the united states on the world for on the world stage china China. okay our debt china (laughs) china's huge (laughs) huge um (laughs) we like to have fun uh our debt to GDP currently is sitting at like 105, 110% or something like that, or somewhere it's in the low hundreds. And I, one of the articles that I had in here, the article didn't really give any good substance like I thought it did. But one <laughs> thing they did put in here is that China's debt to GDP ratio rose to 285% as of the end of third quarter 2020, up from the average 251% of between 20, 2016 and 2019. I thought they were more in line with the United States as far as their debt to GDP. I didn't realize they were over two and a half times our debt to GDP. Where I look at now, I have a little bit different perspective on that. Where like Japan, big economy, their debt to GDP is blown through the roof and has been forever. So now I understand what these people say. Like we can afford to run our national debt up to ungodly amounts of levels without any without any effect. Where like you have this to where we know like hey buying a home and or putting housing on the market brings economic uh stimulus via the things we just i we were just talking about like they now spend money on house or things for their house it allows more housing onto the market when it's obvious like there's so low inventory that we need inventory and builders can't keep up because of the government regulation but we leave that out of the conversation yeah. for now but it's putting more housing on tour where it's like hey they're taking they know it's going to be at a loss 
but it's at a loss to the government debt to GDP, not the overall gross domestic product and bringing people's uh, economic lives up. Oh, and I mean, the Federal Reserve said as much when, uh, and we covered this, how they came out and they said, the money supply, stop thinking about that. Don't worry about that. Unemployment, don't worry about that. We're, those yeah. are not things that we're figuring anymore. So they pretty much came out and said like, look, it's, it's printing money to infinity and beyond. Right, because it just no longer matters. And th there's an excellent book I read many years ago called Currency Wars from Jim Rickards, and he explained exactly this. He talked about currency wars. Pretty much, the U.S. prints more, China prints more, China prints more, the U.S. prints more. Like they're all going head to head on all this. Like nobody's yeah. getting ahead of anybody else. Where they get ahead is who is producing more, not just yeah. increasing their debt, but who is also producing more. And Tommy said here that we are our own biggest threat. And I agree. I think we are not focused on producing more. This is why my, my biggest frustration is with all of this giving, 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 is that it doesn't teach anybody to produce. Mm -hmm. It's not incentivizing people to produce. It's not incentivizing people to solve their own problems, to create solutions. When we look at all, all the greatest things that have come it's, out. It produces, it, it consumes talking about incentivizing them to consume, not produce right and the problem is like if all you do is consume you just become a suck well, you don't generate anything yeah but you are consuming because somebody else is producing now it depends yeah. who is producing that product if we're buying it all from china big difference well that's what but, i'm saying china is more focused on infrastructure and production that's what they keep investing on they keep building their ways of producing more and shipping more and putting out more to increase their supply in the world. We're not focused on those things. And we go back to like the tax laws. If you start, you know, increase the taxes on the wealthy, you do all these things. You look at the greatest innovations that have come that we all love using everything from technology, phones, everything. Yes, they were all rich because they provided something the world wanted, the world needed, right? If you take all of that away, innovation goes away and all these cool things that we are all used to having is no longer there because guess what you need money to incentivize people because it's a lot of freaking work to create innovation yeah. it's a lot of work it's a lot of sacrifice and you want some compensation we all want to live good we yeah. all want to have the, uh, the ability to have whatever we want we all want it it's just there are some people that are willing to work much harder than others to achieve it and now we are punishing those people for doing so and don't get me wrong i am not saying that there shouldn't be increases on people that maybe have are taking uh, abusing certain loopholes maybe in the system or whatever it is that's other and that's by republicans all means, arguments how they want to fund it is focus on not raising taxes but closing loop yeah okay now, but now let me ask the caveat to that so it's like okay they raise the taxes and stuff like that uh so all of us that are currently in business now or had been in business for a long time are irritated and pissed about it but the new person coming up is playing under those new laws so what and everybody's playing they can't get around them everyone's on the same playing field so the old guard is like man that really sucks i have to pay more in taxes but the new guard coming up saying i have to pay these taxes so what's, what's the difference of uh, uh when we started it was 35 percent, and we saw the same ambitions and then the tax rate dropped now it's going up to like the 28 percent and stuff like that where i don't like how how much of an effect does it really have when you have the same generation? The, the ambition is the ambition. The ambition is like, hey, I well, want to create a better life for myself. Yes. But now everybody's playing the same playing field. So like, what does it really matter? The ambition isn't 
I think I, I want to be rich, but now everyone gets rich under the same context that they're playing in the same field. It's not like, hey, I have to pay a higher tax bracket just because I am who I am, not because of the money I make. I just know, like, because uh, tax laws are unbiased in the sense that if you make over a percentage, yeah, you pay more in taxes. For sure. So that's where, like, the new people coming up are used to the current tax laws. So, and, does that and really again, I, and I'm not saying that going to 40% is going to stop somebody from making millions of dollars. Right. I don't think like that's going to slow they're, down. They're like still going to keep going. They're just going to be like, all right, well, I'm just taking home a lot less. Um, but it's going to keep going. My, my whole thing and the whole point of the show is to look at trends. My whole thing is, is what we go back to is that you're not going to solve the problems by trying to give. You solve the problems by trying to help people, by giving, helping people create and, and have the, the, the confidence in themselves the knowledge, the ability to create. Together, we can do tremendously more than the government trying to handle everything for oh, us. Oh, I 100% agree with That's that. That's my whole thing. So it's not so much that, oh, they're going to take 1031s away or they're increasing, they might increase the uh, capital gains to 40% or this or that. We're all going to adjust as we have in the past. We're all going to make it work. We'll figure it out. Some people are going to go out of business. Some people are going to thrive. And it, the world keeps turning. My thing is like the mentality behind it. That's my, my frustration with all of this is that mentality of, oh, you're struggling here. Oh, you're hungry here, here, here. And it's like, they're still going to be struggling. They're still going to be hungry right after they finish that plate. You understand? Because you didn't give them anything for them to be able to fend for themselves. Well, there's a topic I, I heard about um, this week. I didn't add it in here because I feel like neither you or I don't have the not expertise, but like the credentials to have an opinion on it. Uh, so much, I have but, an opinion on anything. <laughs> but it was about um, them restructuring and removing drill sergeants from like basic training and stuff like that in the military. <laughs> and drill sergeants? What, what yeah, the so hell? like they're redoing... What's the point of that? Uh, they're re they're restructuring how people enter like boot camp and things like that, and they're doing test runs to remove to make uh, boot camp less harsh towards people emotionally. <laughs> But you, neither you, I, or military to have an opinion on it, and uh, that's where it's like, hey, we have, can have our opinions, but I don't think we have the right to because, like, we need one of some military or Gee, know what that uh, really goes. Tommy, Tommy what's can, your opinion? Yeah, Tommy can uh, have his opinion. So on that hold on, for sure. explain this to me. Explain this to me. I, so I they're saying they're saying they want uh, when somebody signs up to the military, or whatever, they want that preliminary phase that we all know is like the most grueling the training yeah. and all of that. They want to make that nicer. From what I understood, like I didn't read a whole lot, do a whole bunch of research into it, but I, they, they were removing like drill instructors uh, from basic training. Why I'm is this? Because it hurts people's feelings? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what the whole purpose of it was uh, or why that or what studies were done behind it, but they're removing drill instructors from the boot camp well, process. Try to find more information next time when you bring up a point. Yeah, who, who knows what it yeah. is. But um, switching topics a little bit, let's go on to some of the business news away from, uh, well, I mean, no, well, we'll, we'll transition over because we're talking about Biden's infrastructure plan. Uh, I have oops, an article in here that I found that business, the business world is divided on whether to fight Biden's proposal corporate tax site or to just let it happen. 
The U.S. business community is trying to figure out how to address President Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, which calls for higher corporate taxes to help pay for the for at least two trillion in government spending. Lobbyists and other D.C. influencers told CNBC that they have received calls from anxious corporate clients eager for guidance on the path forward. Several prominent business groups, such as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, oppose the oppose the proposed tax hikes behind the scenes, though some companies are considering whether to put much up a fight of all because of corporate America's demand for an infrastructure plan. And I think they're all over the place because I think there's a lot of money being spent in ways that will attract be will be attractive to a lot of companies. Another corporate lobbyist told CNBC, if you are involved in broadband, electric vehicles, you go down the list. There's a lot of positive spending that corporate America will like. The lobbyist represents auto and airline giants along with large private equity firms. So that that's where I was talking about. They don't know. It's like, man, do I do I fight this corporate thing or do I not? Because the spending is going to directly benefit myself. Or like you said, broadband. I do agree having nationwide broadband and high-speed internet would drastically uh, and have a good return on investment. Better airports, better roads, better bridges. Like this uh, lobbyist for represents auto and airline giants. For sure, uh, his clients are like, man, 7% hike. We, now we go back five years ago, we were at 35%. We're down to 21. Now we're going up to 28 Still not bad, but the money they're planning on spending is going to directly affect our bottom line later on down the road once this stuff's done over the eight-year period that they're talking about. But I'm sure there are industries that are not happy about having to spend, like oil and gas. I'm sure they are not happy about the corporate tax hike because they know, hey, my corporate profits are going to shrink from this, and I now have to pay more taxes. Yeah. So I think the business world's kind of torn of uh, what they should well, and shouldn't be, do. It's also, I mean... What you and I talk about a lot is when we talk to people that are Democrats or Republicans, right? They, they're picking a side. And I, first of all, I think that's really bad to do. I understand we're, uh, we're tribal in nature that we need to pick a tribe. But in politics, I think you need to try to be a little bit more in the middle as much as you can. But that being said, like... You got to look at the plan for what it is and not everything is going to be terrible, right? Not everything is going to be a, a horrible idea. So it's okay to actually look at the plan and look and say, Hey, this is some good ideas. These are some good plans. These are, you know, this is going to benefit us. It's going to benefit a lot of people. This not so much, right? This is going to hurt us. And it might be something where it's like, well, it's a give and take, you know, you're going to get hit over here, but you're going to get a little bump over here. So you get you gotta look at it with I think a more open-minded uh, approach to everything. But you know we touched on this a few times, and I wanted to just cover this article. And it, it's pretty much ever since he was running for president, uh, transportation secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, has been saying nice things, nice things about a tax on vehicle miles traveled. The idea is simple. Tax drivers for every mile they drive. That way, as the U.S. automobile fleet electrifies and the gas tax revenues dwindle, we will still have money to pay for roads. So, Buttigieg uh, spoke favorably about the VMT tax in a congressional hearing. Um, if we believe in that, in that users pay principle. The idea that how we pay for roads is based on how much you drive, 
the gas tax used to be the obvious way to do it. It's not anymore. A so-called VMT tax or mileage tax, whatever you want to call it, could be a way to do it. Uh, so the secretary spoke back in Monday. Uh, back on Monday, no, the secretary walked it back on Monday, and the idea did not make it into President Biden's infrastructure bill. Sooner or later, however, MNT's time will come because the gas tax isn't cutting it and hasn't for some time. Between 1947 and 2010, according to a study, the amount of money the U.S. has spent on highways and roads surpasses revenues from gas taxes and other user fees by $80 billion, $800, sorry, $800 billion in today's dollars. The ratio is getting worse. Since the federal gas tax hasn't been raised in almost three decades, that shows diminishing returns as cars get more fuel efficient. Taxing miles has one big advantage over taxing gas. It captures electric vehicles. It has one big disadvantage. It reduces the incentive to buy electric or fuel efficient vehicles. The, yeah. uh, this kind of innovation is already afoot in road pricing. Not only have two states, Oregon and Utah, adopted VMT pilots, but New York City has finally gotten federal approval to get started pricing access to its central business districts. Several states now have dynamic tolling on highways to reduce traffic by the mile. So, by the minute. I don't know, mile just seemed like it would have gone. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, in New York, it's something that we always talk about. Like, I lived uh, about an hour and a half outside of the city. And you wanted to go, let's say you wanted to go to Queens. I mean, you were spending a good amount of money just on tolls. You know, because I mean, what's every- a good amount of money? What is a good amount? Ten bucks, five bucks, twenty bucks? Oh, uh, last time, no, it was closer to. I want to say closer to like thirty. Damn, I'm I'm not sure if that was thirty one way though, because some tolls are like fifteen dollars, just to, one way. Yeah, and yeah, you can about like thirty dollars to go into the city. And I mean, let's not even go into parking and everything else. But I mean, you have tolls all over New York. It's only in yeah. Texas that when I came here that I was surprised that I drove through all of Texas, not hit one toll. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and now they put one. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, they put freedom, one, baby. They put one toll to go around Austin, and people are freaking the hell out because they, oh, they don't want to pay like three dollars or something. Yeah, there's like nah. Yeah, but um, my thing is like, uh, will this incentivize more people to work from home, right? Uh, we're already seeing a big shift in this already, where people are saying like, "Hey, let's." Uh, but we talked about it before in the, I believe, the last coffee with the Johns, on how we're seeing co big companies, Amazon, Google, they're all adapting a format of a hybrid work from home, yeah. come into the office a little bit, stuff like that. And oh. then more people are wanting it because then they can live in a more affordable place and then travel to where the job is. And that is something even where I lived, it, people used to do that. They used to live where I used to live and they would travel into the city and work there because you can get paid much better. But with that pay, you couldn't live in the city because it yeah. wasn't enough. So you will live on the outskirts. But now you add 
more of a tax. So is that going to incentivize more people? Well, that's you always, know? I, the adage I put, the private sector will always, always, always move faster than public sector, yeah. government and stuff like this. They're going to put these things in place and they're like, oh, we're going to generate so much revenue based on past projections and our, our half best guess of what's going to happen in the future. And then they pass these things and the next thing you know, boom, exactly that. Like, well, we're all working from home. We can live wherever. I don't even have to drive anywhere. So, yeah. and then it's like, you're just going to say, ah, well, I don't want to drive. I'm going to have Uber Eats bring stuff. I have groceries delivered. I don't need to go anywhere. Well, I mean, Brian Paulin puts here, my odometer broke. Um, <laughs> that's what, that's like, what I'm curious. Yeah. Like, like, um, how do you, like, I guess you have to have vehicle inspections in Texas every year. So you'd have to start reporting mileage every year. So yeah. when we go to around renew your vehicle, you have to take it in for inspection. So they just report the mileage along with that. And it's but like, if, when you buy a brand new vehicle, don't you, isn't it that you don't get it inspected for a few years? Want a new vehicle? I don't know. I don't like, buy brand I, new vehicles, so. Yeah, I haven't had a new vehicle ever. But, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, but, I mean, it, this goes back to what we said before. This is not happening right now, people. So, anybody on TikTok, don't freak the fuck out. Relax. Um, but this is just, again, looking at trends, looking at things, how they're developing. If this was to happen, what do you feel this is going to do to... All of this, you know, people working from a distance and all of these things happening because now it's going to be like, shoot, this is costing me a lot more money to travel to work. Well, I mean, it's going to just, know? it's just going to break up and shift money around to where now places like, yeah. like, uh, like Wells Fargo just came out an article I had that plans start bringing leases their plans on how they're going to bring people back to work because they realized like, Hey, working from home isn't collaborative. Like we need people in the office and stuff like that. So it's going to shift and change how business is done for certain yeah. businesses certain areas but if you're in it and tech you weren't driving to work anyways you're already wherever you wanted to be so you weren't driving anyway so it would change a lot of things and it would just create a, a shift and but i mean that's the great thing is like with mass disruption like that there are lots of opportunities that do prevail so that does provide somebody the opportunity when they look into it to try to find the inefficiencies and make something more efficient yeah uh for sure so, I mean, with that said, I, I'll transition into the Wells Fargo plan. So this was done by the San Antonio Business Journal. So Wells Fargo's plan to start bringing employees back to the office in September. One thing I thought is like, why are they waiting all the way till September? I don't know. But Wells Fargo and company told employees March 30th that it plans to have them start returning to offices soon after the September 6th Labor Day holiday, holiday citing the significant increase in vaccination availability. The bank, which has been extended had had been extending work from home on a month-to-month -month basis told employees that it wanted to give them more notice to plan for the summer and the return to school for the 2021-22 school year we believe most of us benefit by being physically together wells told employees adding that it plans to move forward with office redesigns that seek to encourage more interactions and innovation being pulled into meetings learning from seeing others at work and the often unplanned casual interactions that occur when people see each other in the workplace can be really important the bank said this is especially too true for those new to wells fargo or those early in their careers thoughts on that i'm just i don't like wells fargo i don't like wells fargo either i want them to just shut down <laughs> i think everything they do is just stupid um i don't know honestly i i honestly don't care as much I, I i couldn't venture an opinion yeah i actually just don't care like 
You're a, stay, I, you're a stay-at-home person anyways. Yeah, so. I, I am. I, I'm one of those people that, like, we're seeing uh, vaccinations, all these things go uh, going up drastically. More and more people are getting va- vaccinated. Uh, I believe Biden pushed it to 200 million. 100 million in the first 100 days, yeah. Right. So having, I mean, we only have 350 million people in the country. So you're pretty much, you know, at that point, you're we're probably going to see a big opening of the country. So I'm already thinking my shutdown begins around June, July. When everybody starts hitting the roads, I'm, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm done. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, you don't drive much now anyways, but I'm out driving around. Like, traffic is back, 4 o'clock, and I'm like, Ooh, Oh, yeah, traffic is back, but I'm talking about just people everywhere now. Because, I mean, people are going to definitely overcompensate for having felt so locked down that I, I think you're just going to see just... I don't know. Here, like, we were pretty open. I mean, I guess the only thing that I would good to come back would be like movie theaters and stuff, but like restaurants, they've been packed for months. Hotels packed for months. Like when we went to Austin a couple weekends ago, like every hotel was sold out and had been sold out for weeks. And we yeah. just lucky to find like cancellation. But are they at full capacity? Yeah. And like, there's like, yeah, we're completely sold out. Um, and like they're opening things up. But uh, yeah, when we were walking around Austin downtown uh, last week, when we went down there, you know, on a Sunday. There was people freaking everywhere. Mm. I was like, huh, oh, that's, that's good to see. So I don't know how much like more they're going to like have with the pent up demand, I guess, because they feel like they've been locked down. I guess some people have been. Uh, you have the people that are super scared of it, but yeah. I think the majority of them here in Texas like are not. I mean, because seeing like uh, California. We'll probably see more, uh, especially the summertime, we'll see more vacationing. You know what I mean? More yeah. people wanting to get out, go places. I think if uh, you own any Airbnbs, this summer, you're probably going to crush it if you if you have them positioned in the right places of uh of the towns and, and you know touristy spots and stuff like that. I think this summer you're going to be crushing Airbnbs. You yeah. should probably consider on looking at you know maybe raising your rates and stuff like that because I could definitely see hotels, Airbnbs being booked solid through all of this. Yeah. So um, definitely just an incentive for me to not go anywhere. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on that article? I mean, it's one thing that's good to see. That one, I was like, why are they waiting all the way till September? Um, but I guess they're a, a Just world. Just time. They're a worldwide conglomerate of a bank, and then I guess it's one of those things too that uh, not every place is open. I mean, Texas they are, but in like California, they're still pretty shut down. Northeast, you go over overseas, like they're still shut down over there. And then I understand the aspect of like we're giving people time to plan out, saying, "Hey, September we're going back to work. You got three months to figure out your lifestyle." Yeah. Because like one year, it's easy like to figure out like, "Oh, everybody go home." And like, well, now you're at home with the kids, you can figure that stuff out. But now it's like you got to figure out that old lifestyle. It's going to take longer to come back. Um, oh, I'm sure. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, and I'm and I'm sure that right, like in September, schools are starting back up. So, you know, we'll probably there'll probably be a lot more information for parents as far as schooling goes. Uh-huh. You know, going back to school, what's all that gonna happen? So, I mean, yeah, I could definitely see if, I mean, here's my conflicting thing with all this. There, I'm also hearing a lot of buzz and stories about a fourth wave coming. I didn't know we already went through a third one. I mean, I don't know what's considered, which one was the second and which one was well, the third Well, you had your first wave. one in March, April yeah. last year, and the one last summer that caused Texas to shut down. 
Then you had oh, the, that was the second wave. That was the second wave. And oh, that's okay. when everyone started. I thought that was still part of the first. Uh-uh. Um, and then the third one was over this last winter. Okay, so so they're expecting a fourth one. I don't know if it's just for news headlines because the news doesn't seem to have much of uh, you know they don't have Trump in the stories and now they're like trying to keep I don't know COVID alive. I guess I saw um, one article or I heard about it of like the ratings and number of viewership that's dropped since Trump hasn't been in office. I was like I, I bet because like he was a very person easy person to follow and get a lot of good headlines out of. Uh, well, most people, people don't watch. even know what the hell Biden is up to anymore or what the president of the country is up to because you don't hear anything about Biden. Right? Yeah. And so, I mean, anyway, where, where I'm going at is that you have all this happening with COVID. Like, it seems like it's starting to get under control and we're, we've seen, you know, hospitalizations and all these things drop drastically. Even in California, they, they're they opening up. Uh, I think they're going down to like 50 percent. Uh, um capacity and restaurants and stuff like that so california is opening up more so i mean i you know i could definitely see that and we could probably see a surge in real estate at that point of inventory because as people feel more and more comfortable those people that were hesitant to sell their home now are going to be more comfortable with selling i mean we just right now we're buying a house and the lady that that we're buying it from she's an older lady she's probably in her 70s are we buying <laughs> did a little april fools on john yesterday so that was a lot of fun um but yes we are buying it and uh but she you know we everything was handled through the phone we mailed her the contract uh through email for her to pretty much docu sign it and do everything because she doesn't feel comfortable meeting in person and the reason that she was even selling the house because she doesn't even live in the house it was her daughter and i was able to go look at the house but if it wasn't for that, she probably wouldn't have let me in her house either. You understand? So, I mean, there's a lot of people like that, that they're just, they're not comfortable with having anybody in their home. They're not comfortable with having anybody walk in their home, especially if they're living in it. So maybe once all these things start opening up, we'll see a, a spike in inventory. Or, so, <laughs> I don't know, a spike in inventory, but more inventory. Well, at this point, I think any inventory would be a spike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for right. sure. But... That is all in uh, retrospect that there isn't a big stock market crash. Oh, like we alluded to at the very beginning, Ray Dalio says there's a bubble that's halfway to the magnitude of 1929 or 2000. And so billionaire investor Ray Dalio, who founded the world's largest head fund, Bridgewater Associates, at the age of 26, in a new interview warned that the stock market is a bubble halfway to the magnitude of those that trick triggered historical market crashes like the dot-com bust and the Great Recession. So for him to come out and say this is no small feat. That you and I saying, oh, it's halfway to there. Like, yeah, we haven't created a $150 billion hedge fund either. Um, he cautioned that some high-performing stocks have benefited from single-minded speculative trading focused on price and price alone, alluding to your stimulus checks going to <clears throat> your Teslas, um, and your Amazons and things like that, that have really drove those valuations up the last couple of years or last year. By our measures, the bubble is not what it was in 2000 and not what it was in 1929, he says, but it's kind of like halfway there. Money poured into the markets due to low interest rates, stimulus checks, and expectations that the good times would continue when the economy eventually reopened and the recovery begins. Despite the onset of the pandemic last year, the S&P 500 ended 2020 with a total return of 18%, buoyed by tech giants that benefited from the increased popularity of services like e-commerce and streaming entertainment as COVID-19 shutdowns forced people into their homes. 
thoughts. Go. We're waiting. Yes. <clears throat> that thoughts are formulating. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you don't see the little wheel spinning. <laughs> it's, no. it's the little loading screen. Yeah. But um, I I agree. I mean, you and I have spoken about this that we feel like stocks are drastically inflated, right? We have people that are jumping into the stock market that know absolutely nothing about stocks, about the stock market, about any of it, and they're dumping a ton of stupid money behind it, you know, because they just see a stock going up, so why not buy it, well, right? Well, gambling in a casino to them where you talk to somebody and they're just like, so why'd you buy it? Oh, man, this is where you got to be over here in this thing. Like, I've never even heard of that company. What do they do? Well, I don't know. So like, it's like, uh, but the the Reddit, that's what you got to follow to find where people to go. And that's where you're supposed to be investing. I was like, oh, man. So uh, my thing up. is like herd mentality works both ways. You have that herd mentality that's gotten a lot of people into the market. And I think you're going to have that herd mentality that's going to freak people out and make the market tank. You know, so I can definitely see a pretty much any form of instability in the market, in the economy that forces the market to fall any substantial amount could force a lot of people to freak out and it could be a big ass hit. My thing is like, how bad can it really be, though? That's my question is when you have the Federal Reserve pumping in 120 billion or so into the market every month. We have, we just did a, a 2 trillion uh, stimulus. We're about to do another 2 trillion stimulus now. You know, we, we dumped what, oh, close to $8 trillion in the last year alone. Uh, to date, you know, six, including this, uh, if, we, if this new 2 trillion goes through. So you have all this money hitting the market, all this stuff that the, you know, they're pretty much buying the stock market. How bad could it really get? Like, they'll just prop it right back up. You know what I mean? That, that's, my, that's my curiosity, that we talk about a crash and all that, but I don't feel like the, mark, the free market is really a free market anymore. I feel like if the government needs to, they've already set, they've been setting up the stage for don't worry about money printing, don't worry about interest rates, don't worry about... Uh, Unemployment, don't worry about any of those things. We got it. You know, we'll we'll make sure to adjust as necessary. We know what we're doing. Um the market, this happens, the stock market tanks. It could be maybe a hit for, I don't know, maybe a few months. And then it'll recover again. Like I just don't I you know, I'm not saying he's wrong, but then I'm just don't think it's well, gonna I mean, be says, like a great depression half, kind half of thing. The magnitude because yeah, the 29 set up the Great Depression that lasted decade. Um, the dot com bubble lasted three. Uh, the, I think is the NASDAQ, the overall market declined for three years in a row, uh, from it. So it's like kind of halfway there. But I agree with you. It's like how well the like, thing is, like, metrics are always changing. Like, well, they, yeah, you, sure. You, they and talk like, about, you know, what qualifies as a recession, what qualifies as a depression. And it's everything based on your metrics. And then if you're saying unemployment doesn't matter, uh, you know, money printing doesn't matter, all these things don't matter, then what are going to be the new metrics to determine we are in one? You know what I mean? Because yeah. to me, when you look at the Great Recession, right, to me, that was more of a depression because that thing lasted quite some time until very recently, you know, because you look at true unemployment, there was still very high. Underemployment was very high. You know, you had other sectors that were booming and that's what was taking the attention away and stuff. But 
there are still a lot of sectors hurting. There's still a lot of people hurting from it. So it's like, what are your metrics for this? So I, I don't know. I mean, how bad could it be? I guess it's going to depend on how you are affected. If you're somebody that's heavily invested in stocks and you're probably, you know, if you're young, I don't think it matters anyway because you should be investing for the long term. So it, eventually it will prop back up like and it'll keep going. A, it could, it couldn't kind of scenario. Like it could go down, it could not. It, like, who knows? And it's like the long-term aspect of it. But playing the casino gamble of trying to just getting your information from Reddit and not even knowing the company name, just knowing the ticker yeah. and what they do. It's like, that's not investing. You know, you're just gambling at that point. No, nobody is investing anymore. I mean, mo the majority of the people and the things that, uh, all these things are, are getting done. Like it, it, it's just gambling. You know what I mean? It's just been gambling. It's speculation. Everybody's hoping it just keeps going higher. They have no knowledge of anything. They're not being smart. They're not allocating the resources and their investments correctly as far as doing a proper allocation of funds. You know, if stocks go down, do you have something a little bit more secure to protect your money or did you go 100% in stocks? Well, it's also, you got to think of uh, Ray Dalio and like who he represents and who he's talking about being worried as like, he he's a billionaire. He's he's like worth like twenty billion himself and has a hedge fund worth like 150, 170 billion dollars as well. Like it's family offices. It's big money people that are worth 10, 20, 50, 100 billion dollars that he's saying like you should really be watching out for certain things and divest and reallocate funds places. Right. So right. yeah, I think as far as everybody else, it's probably gonna be, you know, headline reading and all that for a while. Uh and then it's just we go back to the same thing. Look at the trends. The government's not letting the economy fall. They don't want to. They, they, they've already put all the rules and all the stuff in play where it's like, you know, money printing to infinity and beyond. So it's like... You like saying that, don't you? Uh, well, what else are you going to say? It's, I don't it's know, just, just money to printing. and beyond. Well, yeah, because there's no end in sight. No, no, they've already said, saying. like, there's no, no yeah. end in sight for it. So what is really the risk? You know, what, what's really the the downside to all of this? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't see anything. I don't know. I don't see any, any issues with all that. But uh, I wanted to kind of bring it around to a little bit of local news for economy. And uh, Whataburger thanks its employees with more than $90 million in bonuses. So Ooh. the beloved fast food chain announced in a news release Wednesday it awarded more. <laughs> they did a news release about how good they do. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that shit is funny. <laughs> uh, on Wednesday, it awarded more than $90 million in bonuses to its employees in thanks for their service during COVID-19 era and in the severe winter weather storm. So for those of you that are not in Texas, Whataburger is the McDonald's of Texas. Um, I know I just pissed off a lot of people. It's a joke. But it's a, it's a fast food uh, burger joint here in Texas that is very loved. Uh, Whataburger employees also receive extra mile bonuses, emergency pay, and a doubling of their 401k plan matching for 2020. Oh. Ed Nelson, Whataburger CEO, stated, uh, we wanted to help ensure that our family members, who are their employees, they call them family members and their families are taken care of and thank them for continuing to go the extra mile to serve our guests with great pride, care, and love. The company also announced in its release that it is evaluating general 
it's elevating general managers at its chains with a new title, calling them operating partners. Business leaders who run multi-million dollar restaurants take care of their teams and serve as the face of Whataburger in their communities per the release. So I'm curious if that new title comes with a pay raise. Uh, but that being said, this is what you and I talk about a lot, which is the free market is go always going to do what's right. You understand? Are they going to make mistakes? A thousand percent. Are they going to try to be greedy? A thousand percent. You understand? But at the end, the market is going to do what the market has to do. And it can adapt so much quicker than any federal policy could ever do. So if you leave the market alone, nobody forced Whataburger to do this. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they did it because it's just smart business. It is smart business. It, they take care of their employees. They make them feel like family. I mean, they don't even call them employees. They call them family members. You know, they're they're changing the titles from your generic, you know, manager, manager. to now a partner. I mean, we got a better name. They got Musk over called Techno. Got to well, they, they, they don't have Musk as the as the CEO having operating, fun with the world. Operating BA. That'd yeah, but you you see all this, and that's. That's the point, right? Like you have, you have to let businesses compete and Whataburger is competing. They're yeah. competing by showing how much better they are. So if people loved Whataburger before, this makes them love them even more. If they were debating Take that McDonald's. Yeah. If they were debating going to McDonald's versus Whataburger, now they're, they're going to go to Whataburger just to support that. Yeah. Just to be like, you know, you guys are awesome. Let me go support you because you're doing great for the employees. Well, they also serve burgers on Texas toast. That's, that's the best thing they can't get that at McDonald's. Yeah. Well, I'm not a fan of fast food, so they, you know. I haven't eaten there in years, they, but they I do know what I did. They, my... they put it on Texas toast. And it's like, oh, But, you delicious. know, I, I just think uh, we go back to the same thing. Like, when these are, this is why certain incentives are in place. This is why certain things are being done, because it creates that kind of environment. Business make smart decision. You know, maybe not at first, of course. At first, it's bottom lines, it's profit. But when they see that they can't get the best help, they can't get good customer, uh, good customers, they, they don't have loyalty, they don't have a following. And right now, with a brand, what the brand matters is can people connect to your brand? If people yeah. can connect with your brand, your business grows. And more and more business owners are realizing this, so they're being more socially conscious with their employees, they're they're thinking about doing more benefits and all that, which I think this will lead very nicely into uh, the Amazon. Um, I like Kim's uh, comment here. It's what a burger. Just wanted to clarify. John's accent makes it sound like water burger. Okay. Hey, well, that's what people call it, water burger. What a burger, not water burger. Potato, potato. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's a big difference. It's what a burger. Man, wow, what a burger. Well, it makes your mouth water. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> there it is. Okay, but on to the next one. Amazon anti-union blitz stocks Alabama warehouse workers everywhere, even the bathroom. And this is actually released by uh, the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon. So kind of an interesting uh, way that they put this out. So some workers in Amazon's 
Bessemer, Alabama warehouse complained that the company's aggressive performance expectations leave them with little time to take bathroom breaks. The stakes couldn't be higher for Amazon, which is fighting the biggest labor battle in its history on U.S. soil. Next Monday, the National Labor Regulation Board will mail ballots to 5,805 workers at the facility near Birmingham, who will then have seven weeks to decide whether they want to want the retail, wholesale, and department store union to represent them. If they vote yes, they would be the first Amazon warehouse in the United States to become unionized. That's what's more a... What's more, a union victory could spark a wave of organizing campaigns among the 400,000 operations staff at the hundreds of other Amazon warehouses and delivery sites that dot the nation. A battle for higher wages and improved working conditions in the Bessemer and beyond could stall Amazon's growth, forcing the company to negotiate expansive plans with the union. It would probably increase costs and could even hurt efficiencies. The company has steadfastly said its workers don't need the Retail, what's the standard? The RWDSU, the Union for Retailers, or any union. It offers Bessemer and work, workers a starting pay of fifteen thirty an hour, well above the federal minimum wage of seven twenty five an hour. Alabama has no state in minimum wage. That pay, along with health care, vision, and dental benefits, and a retirement plan, offers employees more than comparable jobs provide. Amazon is one of the nation's largest employers with more than 1.1 million workers worldwide. As U.S. manufacturers has waned, participants, and this is something I thought was interesting of like what the drive behind this is, is like as, U, as U.S. manufacturing has waned, participants and unions has shrunk to about 11% last year, down from 30% highs of the non-agricultural workforce in, the, in 1964. So it's one of those, and you read through that article, and like the labor unions, oh, we've been fighting for a long time to unionize and control Amazon. It's like these unions are like influencing people because their paychecks depend on being able to unionize people to get right. them to join to pay their dues to argue against them. Because that's one of the things too. Like my brother works for Amazon, my mom works for Amazon. They do give fantastic benefits and fantastic pay. Because you look at like this, this Bessemer, Alabama. Like Alabama is one of the, I think, is down there on the economic impact of the United States, where they're offering fifteen thirty an hour in a, a tertiary market outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Like there's probably nothing else in that job to be tuned that can employ that many people that can pay fifteen thirty an hour. And now these people are coming out saying we want to be unionized because we want more. And it's one of those. It's like. At what point do you just be like, this is why these unions like don't work. And like, cause now you're going to increase wages, increase efficiency, increase negotiation. And who gets hurt by that? The end consumer, the person that has to pay, cause they're going to have to raise costs to help pay for the unions, the dues, where that money's going and the increased wages and the headache that goes along with that. And that's where it's just like, why, how, how, and why is what's going on in that warehouse in an area that you wouldn't be able to get paid 15, 30 an hour anywhere else and get those kind of benefits with a healthcare vision, dental, 401k match, retirement plans, everything that they offer. And, but now you're complaining, you say, I want more. And it's just like, you wouldn't have anything here if we weren't here. Mm -hmm. So my thing is that what union ever worked or works now, you know, I get why they were formed at one point, but you know, this was, I think it was because of Ford 
Yeah, it started with Ford. Because, I mean, when the unions were created, yes, they, people <laughs> were like, bad. it's like when you worked for like Ford Motor Company, you're like 16-hour days, six days a week. Like, it was pretty like damn pennies. bad. Yeah, it's like you were way down there because there wasn't anything. And so when they did unionize and come together, it was for a good cause. Right. But just like any bureaucracy, like the amount of waste. And cause, I mean, how many times uh, I remember one of the unions in like Chicago or something like how much backdoor pocketing he was getting paid for by politicians to let things go through well, for the and longest for companies time. like, yeah, these unions were being paid, but then behind the scenes are getting paid by the people that they are fighting and representing against. But for the longest time in New York, Chicago, like the unions were ran by the mob because it was easy money. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you look at stuff like that and it's just like unions, first of all, I mean, I don't think that, they make any sense. I don't think they're necessary. And to your point, it's like, look at everything that Amazon's already doing. And all you're doing right now, all you're telling me by trying to do a union is that you just don't want your packages delivered on. You know, you want to make sure that Amazon becomes as inefficient as possible. Yeah. Because there's not a union that I've heard of, and I definitely could be wrong. It doesn't happen, but I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> that they're is a union that runs effectively and does their job correctly. The majority of the time, we, I mean, since I was a kid, you always made fun of unions because you'll have five guys to dig one little hole, right? One guy's digging, the other four are watching them. And we always made fun of that and the unions because that's how inefficient they are. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, hey, I need a plumber to fix this real quick. You're a plumber, right? He goes, yeah, but that's, I'm this type of plumber. You need that type. I know how to do it. It's easy, but... That's not my job. Yeah, I can't do that because I get in trouble or whatever. And in, in, in trouble. You can't even get fired from a union. I mean, that's where I'm going is uh, you're continuing to hurt these businesses that we all like. I mean, Amazon isn't a freaking juggernaut because people hate Amazon. You understand? Like, people shop at Amazon consistently. They depend on Amazon for a lot of stuff. So you're doing this. It's just, to me, it's like, why? You know what I mean? Like, what are you trying to fight? They just, they already went up to $15 an hour in a lot of places. Oh, they're, well, they're national, they're, they're company-wide lowest is starting pay is $15 an hour. Uh, officially, because I thought it was more of an average. But yeah, I mean, they already went wide, uh, uh, you know, $15 an hour where there's a ton of other businesses that, you know, they're massive companies and everything that don't do it. They're already doing everything that pretty much the government wanted people to do. And Amazon... Much like working at McDonald's, much like working at all these places, they're kind of stepping stone jobs. Like you're not, you shouldn't be at Amazon, you know, packing district or whatever the heck that is for the rest of your life. That's kind of like you're there until you can find something better, right? That 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 job should well, not that's also one of the things, like, help you their, retire. Their, their benefits are so damn good that it's like can't find anything better. And then and it's like, but that's like, why hurt it? Yeah, you know. Like, then why are you trying to unionize against it? Because it's like you're trying to make it a career job, but it's like move, get educated, go somewhere. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I'm against. I am against unions. Uh, a lot of them, and I'm not saying all of them. I'm sure there's probably a few unions that deserve to be there. Yeah. But you look at even, I mean, the police. You look at the police. Look at all the issues, inefficiencies with the police departments. Right. And they're all, aren't they, isn't the whole police, uh, they have unions, the police union and all that, at least in New York you do. I mean, I don't know if it's 
different than well, I know you have place. one here. You have the firefighters union because that was a big issue two years ago when we voted against it, and that that's one reason like the city manager like left is because the union got too powerful and swayed the votes with those propositions and stuff yeah. like that that like capped uh, city managers' salaries and like the forced arbitration and stuff like that. Does that have to do with their union? <laughs> Huh? Capping uh, the city manager's salary because she hammered the she attacked the unions and the union fought back and oh, got the so, city so. to cap her sa their salary and stuff like that. And she's Pay like, back. Oh, no. so they, it's good that she, they're she still held, she held that union accountable it, and it, they didn't like being held accountable. It's good to say that they're still holding to the mob rule, so that's pretty cool. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not in favor of unions. I think you, especially with companies like Amazon and stuff like that, well, that they they're already doing an excellent job. That it's like, stop it. You well, know that's what, I mean? what it's like. I'm curious. Like, should have taken somehow taken a page out of Walmart's playbook. Like, they've been around for a lot longer than Amazon, and they've been successfully been able to not have a union organized in one of their stores. Yeah. I know. I remember hearing about like they have a department, a group of people that like any talk of a union, and they call up the store manager right away. Says you no longer in charge of your store. Our team will be there on the ground within 24 hours. And they shut those union talks down so fast for the entire story. What I find funny is Bezos has tried to bring on every Democratic politician that he possibly could to his team. And it seems like it's like biting him in the ass as he's doing all this. Because it's like, you know, just now he was trying to bring on, we talked about it before, who was it? It was like the brother of somebody that's in Biden's cabinet um, as, as uh, uh lobbyist and then he has one of obama's uh also i don't know press secretary i don't know what the yeah, hell it was they were. obama's press secretary he's under him uh as well and i think works very closely with uh bezos because i, I have an well, I mean, article biden, here yeah, of, yeah the biden singles at amazon yeah that biden you know he came out wednesday talking about amazon not paying federal taxes during his address in pittsburgh and he spoke about raising the burden of taxes on multinational companies and hiking the corporate tax rate. So we talked about the infrastructure plan of them raising uh, the corporate tax rate at 28% and closing loopholes that allow companies to move profits overseas. So I don't, we're not tax strategists, attorneys, uh, CPAs, veterinarians. We're okay. These are just our thing. But I don't know what that loophole really is, but if there is a loophole where people can make money here, export it out of the country to not pay taxes, yeah, that probably should be closed, yeah. right? You you should you know if you're making it in this country, it should stay in this country. Well, that's their argument uh, right now of like this whole infrastructure plan. It's like instead of raising corporate taxes, how about we cr close taxes, corporate loopholes? Like if that has the same effect, it's like yeah, I agree with that. It's like why make everybody punish everybody? Versus, hey, let's go after and punish the bad people that are avoiding tax loopholes, removing profits offshores. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So, and then Biden said uh, Amazon was one of 91 Fortune 500 companies that use various loopholes where they pay not a single solitary penny in federal income tax. In their sharp contrast to middle class families paying over 20% tax rates. In response, the Amazon spokeswoman pointed to tweet on research and development tax credits by Jay Carney. Oh, that's the guy. So Jay Carney, the company's public 
policy and communication chief and a former White House press secretary under Obama. He tweeted, if the R&D tax credit is a loophole, it's certainly one Congress strongly intended. The R&D tax credit has existed since 1981, was extended 15 times with bipartisan support, and was made permanent in 2015 in a law signed by President Obama. 2015. Oh, Trump won in 26. Okay. My years got a little confused. Kind of been on a hybrid drive with the years going by. Um, after paying zero in federal taxes for two years, Amazon started paying federal income tax in 2019. This is not the first time Biden has gone after Amazon. In June 19, uh, 2019, he named Amazon and said no company making billions in profit should pay a lower tax rate than a firefighter and teachers. So here's... And I, I get politicians. I understand sales tactics and all of this. Uh, that last line pissed me off because it's like there's no reason a company that's providing the jobs, the services, everything the freaking world wants, jobs, everything the world wants should be making billions of dollars and paying less taxes than a firefighter and teachers. It's like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Why don't you help or do something to help the firefighters and the teachers if that's the problem? Why are you punishing the company that's moving the economy? Like, if your big issue is that firefighters and teachers are paying too much, help them out. Give them yeah. a break. You know that, what I mean? That makes government small. <laughs> I don't want to do that. that. That's the stuff that I just find, you know, and I get it, like, I get what they're trying, you know, what his point is and all of this, but my, that's my argument is that, you know, why use that as a political ploy when it's like, if you're really worried about firefighters and teachers and everybody, then lower their taxes. I, I wouldn't be offended if, if you were a firefighter, uh, a police officer, a teacher, and you got tax breaks. I'm not mad at that. By all means, have at it. You understand? You, the job that you do is very important. Um, yes, teachers usually suck, most of them. They're terrible at their job. But it's still a shitty job. I mean, being a teacher for a lot, you know, for a lot of dealing with some of the well, students and everything. Not being a shitty job. It's a tough job. Some people do enjoy being a teacher and stuff like that. Okay, like, I use is, more descriptive words. I'm sorry. It, it can but. be a very <laughs> tough and demanding job. Exactly. It, it's a, it, that's what I mean. And thank you for uh, defining my word shitty. So that's what, what, that's what the word shitty means in the John Dictionary. I, I know what you're trying to say, but this is not the word you put out. Yeah, but th that's my point, though. It's like, it's, it's, to your point, it's a, being a firefighter, being a police officer, being a teacher, they're very tough, tough jobs. You know, it's very high stress. And they're not very well compensated jobs. So if you're going to give those people tax breaks and stuff like that, I'm all for it. I'm not against that. You understand? Go for it. It doesn't, I don't care. My thing is like, but why are you punishing or trying to punish a company if, if they're not paying taxes because they're doing what the tax law says, where if you provide jobs, you get yeah. benefits. If you provide services, well, that's you like get the, benefits. Everyone, like, it's uh, who's Tom Wheelwright, CPA for Rich Dad? Tom Wheelwright, yeah. Yeah, where he talks about the tax code is not meant to punish. It's a book of incentives. That's right. what it is. 
It's like you get taxed by doing things that the government wants you to do, like providing jobs. You get a tax break for doing R&D. That's why it's been renewed 15 times and made permanent in 2015. But, but I can but, definitely see how a company the size of uh, Amazon can exploit um, yeah. that R&D and say, oh, this is R&D. That is R&D. This is R&D, right? I can see yeah. that. So it's we're, like, we're testing okay. testing new theory of uh, paying all of our people more money or spending money on like these new fancy lights is R&D to see lights get better production. Yeah, and and, and they do like everything else. They send the money overseas and I mean, a is, fraction of it actually goes towards Yeah, that. well, and that's one thing. It is, it is Amazon and I do agree with them. It's like Amazon, all the businesses they're in from streaming to cloud services to the product delivery to the cars, the technology, the, the aerospace stuff they're doing like for them not to pay any money in taxes and stuff like it's like okay that's that's too many things that you're doing that you're somehow able to still pay zero in taxes like something doesn't seem right in that to where like there's a lot of things going on to where like right. usually when you get bigger and bigger the complexity just gets not just if you double I'm in sure. size it doesn't get double complex it's three, oh, and, four I, and times. i'm sure exponentially more complex they have a a, 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 a building this you know massive building with just freaking attorneys and cpas to make sure that they're being as efficient or finding loopholes like this so they can avoid as much in taxes and i get that and it's like well you and the I government don't, I you also have, don't blame amazon either it's like no. it's their job to be is make as much money as possible they're 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 a publicly traded company yeah. and their responsibility is to their shareholders and like i said and to their shareholders they need to raise the prices i'm i'm for closing loopholes and stuff like that that are just you're taking advantage of yeah but at the same time trying to use the firefighters and teachers as an excuse like that to me it was upsetting because it's like look if you really cared then help them out yeah don't you know, don't use that as politics. an excuse. It's yeah. Brain, for sure. But uh, as we're getting close to uh, the our second hour, I did want to make sure that we cover this question real quick. So I did get a question on, uh, somebody send it to me on Bigger Pockets, and I'm going to read it out to you. And then she's asking for advice. So I figured let's give her advice here because I was getting ready to type a response and I was like, Ugh, this response is going to be long as shit. And I hate typing. So I was like, well, let's put it on the show. So she says, all right, I came across one of your posts on Bigger Pockets, San Antonio, and see that you invest there. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm looking to invest in my first out-of-state deal to start building my rental portfolio. As you know, the first one is always daunting, especially being out-of-state. There is so much information, not to mention the world is unpredictable right now. With the foreclosure moratoriums being extended, raising uh, rates rising, rates rising, and low inventory driving up competition and prices. I don't know if now is a good time to buy, but I do like San Antonio's numbers and growth. I'm trying to narrow down the to SA or DFW areas. I added my criteria below in hope that you have sage advice or any reputable connections you would connect me with. Okay, so let's get ready for the sage advice. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we're bringing somebody in for that one, for sage advice. You're going to get advice from us. I don't know if it's sage. So she's just wanting advice on how to go about investing out of state wherever she's at. Right, and then, so here's her criteria. She wants buy and hold, single family or duplex, built 1980, 
or newer if possible. Again, I, as she puts, again, if I have to go older and do minor rehab, I'm open. Not opposed to new construction. Price range between 150 and 200. 20 to 25% down financing. Rent ready or very little rehab or new construction. Area where rents are competitive at least 1%. This is where I can't seem to find much. So I'm guessing what she does mean by 1% is that 1% rule of if you rent the house for... And it's worth 150. Exactly. So I'm guessing that's that's kind of where she's targeting. Uh, True B-plus class neighborhood. I don't know neighborhoods very well. Cash flow, looking for as much as we can get, but 200 minimum. This is net. After money is taken out for vacancies, maintenance, property management, etc. What advice do we have for her? Um, lower your cash flow. Lower your rent ratio requirement. Um, and you might be able to find something. Well, I mean, and then also... I mean, you're, you're, you're talking, she, she wants like at least 400 in cash flow, 450 in like gross cash flow yeah. from something. And it's like, you're not going to find that here right now. And the, the, or she can find that, but you got to lower your B, your B class down to C and D class. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to lower your year built. It's like, you can't have all of those effects buying from afar, trying to go through the MLS. Like we can find that stuff, but we're in it every single day. And we're searching for that stuff every single day to where we might find that opportunity once or twice a year when we do it 365 days a year. So that my advice that is, you're not, you're going to have to lower your expectations of what you're going to get. And for where you're at, I would lower your cash flow and lower your rent ratio because going the other direction to get those ratios, you're going to drive yourself down into lower class housing, which is going to be a nightmare for your first out of state property. And you can, you can be at a 1% if you're looking at a ratio of how much you're in it for versus what the rents are. After you put your 25% down. Exactly. But you're going to need, you got to keep in mind that you're going to leave money on the table. You got to leave money in the property and that might give you the amount of cash flow that you need. And that's still going to depend on. You still wouldn't have 200 cash flow. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's still going to depend on what your ratios are for vacancy or maintenance and what your cost actually is for property management. So, because I've seen vacancy ratios all over the place, I've seen people put like, 3% 3% vacancy, people go up to 10% for vacancy. So it's up to your risk management. Um, then your maintenance, same thing, which is some people call it your CapEx. Uh, I've seen the same thing. I've seen it go from like as low as 3 to 5% all the way up to 10%. Right, so you, or, or another option to that is like you're not going to invest in a major metro in Texas. No. You're going to have to go to Midwest. You're going to have to go somewhere like Cincinnati, Ohio, or some of these other places that... Don't have the appreciation, but better cash flow. Or if that's what you're wanting. Or to you go. gotta invest more on, uh, like, go more into the out, out, uh, outer skirts of San Antonio. So you have areas that are further out, kind of like the area that I went to look at a house yesterday. And I mean, the house I went to look at is 2,300 square feet, built in '94, and it's worth 190 ARV. You know what I mean? It was out by Converse. It's 190 ARV, 2,300 square feet. 
and yeah. it needed some work i mean those houses out there got smacked by hail i mean you should have seen it look like freaking drive-by my god oh, dude yeah i remember seeing some of those out insane there. but so it needed siding it needed some stuff but you're looking at a property like that you know so in those areas a house that's probably 1500 square feet DRV probably is about that 150 160 you probably get a decent house and the rents for this one, it was 2,300 square feet. The rents were 1,600, 1,650, right? So you can get a house like that. You can put a good amount of down payment in. You know, the RV, like I said, was 19200 So you put a down payment in. Rents are your 1,600, 1,650. Yeah. I mean, you'll be, you'll be around there. It's just, it's going to yeah. depend. What that, yeah, I'm thinking of the, the property we have out in Converse. Look. And it's probably worth one five, mm -hmm. running for fourteen hundred twelve fifty square foot house. But that's another thing is like you still have to oh. eliminate that one percent rule aspect and change it to one percent of whatever your loan balance is. Because if you put exactly that's you what put, I'm saying. If you yeah. put twenty twenty five percent down on one sixty thirty two, you're at one twenty eight and it runs for fourteen hundred. It's like all right, so now you have over one percent, so you're close to it. But the problem with those those things come on the market. Gone that's like what that. that was my next the inventory point. is is gone right now Where with inventory be... being as tight as it is it's uh what you're competing for you're competing with is you're competing with the retail market yeah i mean and the retail market is even hunting then, even then you it's just those numbers still don't work for you because her wanting 200 dollars net cash flow because like if you do that and rent for 1400 you're probably cash flow in 350 maybe 400 property manager is going to take 140 of that at minimum so even at 1450 that takes you down to what's that uh 310 now you got to factor in vacancies and prop uh, capex which is usually 10 percent. and there's another 140 dollars a month down to where like you're already under 200 dollars a month or it's just like you're gonna have to get that 200 dollars net cash flow thing out of for here out of yeah, your mind. I think it's like you're, you're it's like if you're getting like 50 to 100 like that's probably a little more realistic uh and you're still gonna be hard to find press to find those that uh 50 to 100 dollar net cash flow oh, okay after so now you're talking you could probably rent for 350 or 350 gross cash flow yeah and like now that's starting to get a little more a little more realistic but there's things that you can do personally to realize that like hey I quote unquote break even every month on this and then just save all that cash flow. And then you, you yourself have additional cash reserves yeah. that if something goes wrong, you can put something in. And if you can't, you shouldn't be buying real estate. Well, anyways. it's what we talk about a lot with uh, vacancy, um, you know, putting money aside for vacancy and putting money aside for maintenance and all that is that at some point you will have enough money put aside that you're good. You understand, like you don't need to keep drawing that every single month because it'll get to a point where you have enough money that you can pretty much take care of anything. And this is why we said that even though buy and hold are considered passive investing, it's not passive. Yeah. You're an active investor. You got to be paying attention. You got to be involved in the market. And if you're involved in the market and you're paying attention, I mean, vacancies, not really an issue right now. Houses are being rented the same day. I mean, yeah, uh, we rented one in six hours. Exactly. Like, maintenance. I mean, if you bought right and you did a proper inspection, you shouldn't have much maintenance happening, if any, for quite some time. You understand? So there's a lot of things that you can adjust for, but I understand investing from out of state is difficult. And I did do uh, an interview with Justin Monk. 
and he's an investor out of Utah and he he does buy and hold investing in Ohio. So, um, Michelle, I really recommend that you check out that interview. He gave some great tips on uh, forming a team and how to form a team that can help you hit all of the areas that you need to hit to make sure you're getting into something that makes sense. That being said, uh, it's a very competitive market. Uh, DFW is even worse. So Austin hit it. No, yeah. Well, there was an article I was going to read, but then I didn't because... It was on uh, the San Antonio Business Journal, and they only give you like two lines, and like ah, I'm not buying that crap. But they were saying how San Antonio uh, Austin Business Journal. Oh, I was gonna say. <laughs> and uh, the, but the, the pretty much the the topic is that the they're saying that the Austin real estate market is in a bubble, and uh, you know, and it's like just now, you know, I think it's been in a bubble and it's still going up. Yeah. Uh, well, they're just a very but, tech dependent. City. Yeah, but going back to your question, Michelle, I think, you know, it's going to be difficult. Uh, Texas, the benefit that you have here that we see why we invest in Texas, why we invest in San Antonio, is we see the potential for appreciation to be tremendous. Uh, Texas has, uh, San Antonio has a very, very, very good infrastructure that allows for a lot more growth that we haven't even begun to tap into. Uh, we're a very affordable city for people to move to. So you might get a house that maybe, you know, and, and this even hurts me to say because it's, it goes against a lot of the stuff that we learned. But this is why you got to be an involved, educated investor. But you're going to get houses that maybe you're leaving, you know, 20, 25% in the property. And maybe you are not cash flowing a tremendous amount where you're still walking away with cash flow, but you are collecting the rent and then some to protect yourself. And what you're doing is you're putting chips on the table. You're holding on because these houses, you know, right now it's barely cash flowing. Next year, it'll be cash flowing. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, and it it went out probably 10% in value already. And uh, you wait a little bit more and you might be able to refinance some of that equity that you left in there. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's going to be plays, but right now it's going to be more of a, you know, it's not going to be as as beneficial, as nice as you would think it is right now, because especially if you're especially coming if you from California and other... read a lot of these books that wrote written like 10, 15 years ago. Right. They all talk about these like pie in the sky, like I want to be able to move into a, qu- a duplex and have the other side pay my mortgage in house hack. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a while because I think people finally realize like, okay, that's kind of impossible to do right now. Well, no, because but, bigger pockets is still pushing it. Yeah. So that's that's I think the, because she commented she sent me this through bigger pockets. And that's where I think a lot of the issue is is that you have bigger pockets still pushing a lot of this shit. Right. Because you know, I don't well, know. it's the the sexiness of the sell. Like, oh, yeah, so much sense. I can get into real estate, buying a house with an FHA loan, putting no money down, and have my, the other side pay my mortgage in full. That's fantastic. Well, and it's also Texas. It's a little hard to do because our property taxes are so high. And, you, and you, yeah, you, you got to look at too. it. You got to look at it. You know, are there areas in the country where this makes sense? At right, like Justin Monk is doing it in Cleveland, Ohio. You know, I wouldn't not ever think to invest in Cleveland, but he's doing very well for himself. So it's like, okay, you know, and he's buying houses and cash flowing, and he's definitely well within that 1% that she's talking about. Uh, He's doing very well for himself. So it's like, all right, but you got to look at the market. Is it appreciating? Is that kind of where you're going to be? It's just going to be a safe cash flowing rental. 
Uh, there's a lot of things to take into consideration, but as far as your question about investing, I do think San Antonio is much better than DFW. And, but that being said, it's still a very competitive market. So I hope that helped answer your question. Uh, definitely message me back if you have any further uh, questions or anything that you want us to elaborate on. But that that's kind of our, our two cents and our sage advice to your question. So I hope that helps. Um, with that being said, we are... Oh, wait, wait, wait. So I, I started a new segment on our on our board. I put I call it the WTF segment. What does that mean? WTF? Uh, you see? What the frick? What the freak? Um, what the Fred? So Whataburger, then fries. So the anyway. Oh my god! I just read that article. <laughs> the the, the so, title of it. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah. So it, the title is: Could this 3D housing company solve homelessness? by building houses in space. So Icon, here's where it's gonna make some sense. Icon, the Austin-based 3D printing, uh, printed okay. home company. So it's Austin-based. Yeah, yeah. Now it, it makes sense. Weird. Yeah. Uh, sees the future of solving this problem in space. That's right. Th this article gets worse though. That's right. The company is on its way to creating housing on Mars and the moon with the assistance of NASA. <laughs> I, think the kind of, <laughs> I think the kind of civilization that learns to explore outer space and to live in outer space will be the civilization that can solve homelessness. <laughs> Sorry, they're going to fucking shuttle homeless people to Mars now. <laughs> the fuck out of the planet. <laughs> oh, oh, man. My, oh, my God. And that sounds so terrible. So it? it is. And no, this isn't just a pipe dream. In fact, Icon has already begun experiments that involve melting down simulated moon dust to use in its cement mixtures. <laughs> Tests that were completed in NASA's lab, says Ballard. My thing is like, who the fuck is funding this? Icon has long been at the forefront of housing design. Back in 2018, the company made the first fully permitted 3D house and followed up early this month with the release of its first series of four 3D homes, all of which were listed for sale in Austin. In 2019, the company collaborated with Industry West on a community of houses printed in just 27 hours. Made for Austin's homeless. It also partnered with nonprofit New Story to build communities in Mexico and Haiti. By bypassing the need for architect, increasing the speed of production, and using cement, a notoriously cheap and durable substance, Icon can create structures at a fraction of the cost of competitive houses. The most direct thing we are doing to cut costs with 3D automation is we are replacing materials and labor, Ballard tells Fast Company. Once you put forth the capital costs for the robot, the labor after that is free. That I'm surprised to hear somebody from Austin talk about, you know, hurting the labor market because that's so capitalistic I'm just, of I'm them. Just, I thought it was like, living in space isn't easy. 
from the what just the movies I've seen. It's like Oh, just from the movies? Yeah, just from the movies I've seen. It's like it's not like I can just walk around on the moon, just like I'm being I'm gonna go over and leisurely stroll and just walk out my door. Yeah. It's like you kinda have haven't to have walked a, this crater before. It, because there, there's this um thing thing that uh we all have to have in order to breathe called oxygen that doesn't exist on the moon. So we're like I know, like, well, I mean, we're already like, learning to live with masks. What's a mask that pumps oxygen? I mean, I guess it's just like we're no just COVID build on a, the moon. A giant atmosphere up there that has like I don't know. Like, let's take the homeless, which don't obviously they're, they're homeless. They can't fend for themselves to get a home. But now My we're going is, to like, put them on the moon. You're saying you want to solve homelessness. You want to do all this. I love the Why don't you cause, solve it on this planet? Yeah, it's like, like, I love the cause, but like... You're already trying to create a civilization a in the moon and in Mars. Yeah. By the time any of this even begins to be close to happening, I mean, what are we talking about? How long and how much wasted time where it's like, if you can really print 3D houses for that much cheaper and that quick, I mean... There's a house for all of them here. Like, why as, as far as profitability moon? goes, you're profitable as shit. You know what I mean? And then... If you're subsidizing homelessness, I'm sure the government will give you plenty of grants. I mean, they damn near funded all of te uh, Tesla's growth. So I'm sure if you can get some government land or something on the outskirts of a city, get a few, you know, 100 acres and freaking 3D print yeah, a couple houses. Go. I mean, you can build the whole community there and homelessness, you know, like, why are you doing all of this stuff in NASA and everything? I mean, don't get me wrong. I agree that it's probably fun as hell to do. But it's just, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. And Randy puts, shoot homeless into space? Question mark. That's exactly, I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to shuttle the homeless people into the moon? It's like, ah, oh, you need oxygen? Oops. We'll get that the next round. Bye. It's yeah, just, I don't know. It's but, not all right. Well, with that being said, guys, uh, that's it for today. This weekend, we are releasing the um, uh, the Texas, we're, so we're going to be doing this every quarter. So for the quarter, for the first quarter of uh, of 2021, we're releasing the Texas real estate market update. Uh, we did one back in December, January. So now this one's coming out this Sunday. So if you haven't signed up already, uh, Kim has already put the link in the chat and it's going to be in the description. Go to sarealestatemarket.com, sarealestatemarket.com. And uh, and sign up to get the slides, get the um, the zip codes, get everything. You're gonna get all the information from there, and um, and also make sure to check out our Facebook group. Again, this is a private Facebook group. It's purely for education. No deal pitching. No hard money lenders. None of that crap. It's if you have questions or if you have knowledge that you can contribute to the community to help the community, you are more than welcome to join the group. So make sure to answer the questions because if not, you won't be let in. And with that being said, guys, thank you for watching, and we will catch you next week. Bye-bye.